When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host Kevin DeVries and as always if you'd like to reach us at the podcast you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Right, we are here now with a Burnley season review. Uh, joining us is Jamie Smith, you can find on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport. You can find his writings over at Omnisport. Uh, an absolute pleasure having you back on, Jamie. A uh, bit of a weird season for Burnley. Started off pretty poorly with you in the relegation fight for some time after starting it in the Europa League qualifiers and then ended up just being safe pretty easily. Uh, so kind of topsy-turvy. What did you make of the season on the whole? Yeah, it's it's a really difficult one to analyse because it was the same season that we were playing in Europe for the first time in 50 years. And then we had terrible first half of the season. Looked like we were goners at one point, really. And then it was like a switch flicked. And the old Burnley were back from the two previous seasons. We were hard to beat again, doing everything that people recognise of Sean Dyche's team. And over the second half of the season, despite a couple of dodgy results after safety had been secured, we're up there with the, the form teams in the league. I think sort of sixth, seventh, eighth in the table for the second half of the season. So uh, a real season of two halves, really, if you will. But yeah, the European adventure already feels a long, long time ago now, to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure. <clears throat> and that one of the issues with that was... Um, having the depth that we talked about at the time, um, not really being able to challenge on multiple fronts. Is that still why you think you struggled so much early on? I think so. My my theory is that the club didn't really prepare properly. So that's partly a recruitment thing, partly just maybe even on, on the logistical side. Burnley's still a small club, really. Things like budgets, it's still one of the smallest in the league. Um even like staff levels, I don't think we were really equipped for the challenges posed by going to play a game in Greece or going to Turkey and then having to come back and play a Premier League a couple of days later. It was completely new for basically everyone involved in the club. I don't think we really coped with it. Uh, personally, I think we should have started pre-season earlier. We only had a couple of games before the first Europa League game because we started the qualifiers at the end of July. So, yeah, my idea is that we just should have started pre-season a couple of weeks earlier, been really ready to go. And I think Dash maybe got it upside down in the early weeks of the season as well. We were playing sort of a, a mixed team in the European games of some of the new signings and players that were a bit on the fringe. And then in the league, we were trying to play our strongest team, but we weren't getting the results in the league. So, albeit with the benefit of hindsight, although... I did say it at the time as well. <laughs> I personally would have played the strongest team 
in the Europa League at the time. I think that was probably a once-in-a-lifetime thing for us. Um, we were very, very close to getting into the group stage. Once you're in the group stage, who knows what could happen. It would have been an even more incredible experience, giving more people a chance to go and watch than Europe. I didn't get to any of the away games, unfortunately, which is a massive regret now. Um, and if we'd played the Europa League team in the Premier League team in the Premier League games that we had at that time, the results couldn't have been that much worse. So I think <laughs> if, if we could do the season again, I would rather that we did it that way. But yeah, I think it's it's impossible to argue that the Europa League didn't have a negative impact on our, our form at the start of the season. But the fact is, results didn't really improve November, December when we were out. So we can't solely blame that. Yeah. Um, if you were to put a letter grade on the season on the whole, despite those weird ups and downs, what would you give it? Uh, I think it's probably like a C, maybe a C plus. Um, I think it's 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 difficult to forget how bad the first half of the season was in the league. We were conceding goals that were just utterly ridiculous and conceding so many of them against very average teams. We conceded four goals at Fulham early in the season. Yeah. It's just insane. And we had results like Huddersfield, we drew with them at home, terrible team. And a lot of really stodgy sort of home performances as well that, that really had an impact on the fan base. So I think it's, although we did pick up a lot in the second half of the season and we go into next season with a bit more momentum after results like getting a draw at Chelsea and things like that. I don't think you can really put anything better than a C on finishing, what was it, 15th in the end, when the year before we finished 7th. So we've got eight places worse over the course of the year. Yeah, and if it, if it is a C, it's probably something like an F for the first half and an A or A- minus for the second. Yeah, exactly. So somewhere <laughs> in the middle, I think it's fair overall. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, mentioned some kind of highs and low points. What specifically would you say was the best moment for Burnley this year and the worst? I think the high point for me was still playing in Europe and being at the home games, watching Burnley play European fixtures. We were really good in all three home games as well. Very, very memorable games. And like I say, it's, it's probably unlikely that that's going to happen again if we're realistic. We should aim for it. But realistically, it's going to be a stretch for us to be able to do that again. So games like the Aberdeen one, uh, the Istanbul one, where Jack Coates got a brilliant goal in extra time to win it, they're real lifelong memories for me, being able to say that you've seen your team in Europe. Teams at Burnley size just don't really get into Europe very often. So that has to be the real high point for me. What would you say was kind of the low point? Was it like that 4-0 loss to Fulham? Uh, Fulham was a low, but I think the the real nadir for the season was the Everton game um, at Christmas. We conceded five in that one, and that was that was the point I think where a lot of fans started to think, "Well, this is it. If we're going to play like this, we are going to be relegated." There wasn't really any fight in the team at that point. The goals we were conceding were so soft, um, and we were going two 0 down in ten minutes. It felt like every week at that part of the season and it just looked like we were going to walk sleepwalk towards relegation really luckily that proved to be a turning point and after that there must have been some strong words said by Dash, senior players, people in the dressing room 
because there was a radical turnaround after that. We made a couple of changes to the team. Joe Hart drops out. Captain Tom Heaton came back. Dwight McNeil came in as well. I'm sure we're going to talk about him um, later on. But those two changes really had a transformative impact on the team, really. And very quickly, we started to look more like our old selves, getting the sort of results that you would expect. Keeping clean sheets and collecting the wins that we needed to, to pull away from danger. In the end, it was more comfortable than you would have ever expected in sort of the middle of December when we were plummeting. Yeah, probably not uh, <laughs> the best of times, but as you said, it all worked out in the end. So uh, the pain along the way kind of ends up being uh, a little less impactful. Um, what would you say was the best goal of the season for Burnley? Uh I don't think we scored many great ones. The best one, I think the one that won at the, the awards ceremony the other week was Jeff Hendricks' volley against Chelsea, which was mm. a very, very good hit. He's done it a couple of times. He scored one at home against, my memory's terrible, but I want to say Bournemouth, which was similar where it was sort of a header came up, um, or it might have been a flick on a long ball. Anyway, he volleyed it from outside the box and he went in, so he certainly got that in his locker. Um, the sort of goal that Burnley traditionally haven't really scored, we can be quite direct, rely on crosses. Um, but Chelsea got really unnerved every time we got the ball in the box in that game. And although it's it's always a bit hit and hole, probably when you're Jeff Hendrick and you don't score many goals, but I think he has shown that he has the technique to score that sort of goal. And I'd like to see him try it more often, really. Yeah, get you some more of those uh, highlight real goals <laughs> there at Turf Moor. Um, you mentioned we were going to get on to Dwight McNeil. Um, I assume if there was a Young Player of the Ward uh, year for Burnley, which there's not for Tottenham, really, but if there is, it should be Dwight McNeil. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there isn't really any competition. It's fair <laughs> to say one of the criticisms of, of Dash is that he hasn't really brought through young players, certainly not at Burnley. I don't think his record at Watford was particularly strong in that area either. Um, but this season, to be fair, McNeil has come through and he's been one of the more effective young players in the Premier League. I think there's been a stat doing the rounds that, in terms of goal involvement, so goals plus assists, him and Ryan Sessegnon, I think, are top the teenagers in the Premier League. Uh, when you think there's players like Callum Hudson or Daru, people talk about going to Bayern Munich for £50 million. He played for England before he'd started a Premier League game. For someone like Dwight McNeil to pretty much come out of nowhere and be scoring goals, creating goals in what's still, let's be fair, pretty average team is remarkable, really. Um, the strange thing with McNeil who anyone who follows me on Twitter will be aware of, I've been raving about all season, really, is that he, he was involved at the start of the season and he played against Olympiacos in the Europa League and looked very good, albeit raw, and then played against Manchester United, where he'd come through the ranks and left at 14 and then came to us. But then sort of disappeared and we didn't see him for three months. Um, but then when he came back into the team, he had an impact straight away. So... I don't know what happened. There was no thought that he was injured. Um, he'd clearly been working on his fitness because his stamina was a problem. He was looking tired in the second half games. But it, it was a bit strange for me that he wasn't involved at all for that period, which 
coincidentally was the period where we couldn't win any football matches, couldn't <laughs> score any goals. So, um, and then yeah, his return obviously I, turned that around. Well, exactly. So you can argue that the spell out of the team booked his ideas up or gave him time to work on fitness or technique or whatever, and then he had the impact. But yeah, I, I just think if you're a young player, you should be playing if you're good enough. And I don't really understand where he disappeared. Um, he's already trained with England's senior team. He was in the under-20 squad, I think it was, in March. But Gareth started to get invited in to come and play with the seniors. It's possible that he does the same around the Nations League. There's obviously going to be a lot of the first-team players involved in Champions League final, Europa League final. So it's not impossible that he gets bumped up to do some training with the seniors again. Uh, it's it's difficult to put a, a sort of ceiling on how good Dwight McNeil could be, but... There's already talk from Burnley fans, and this is partly just because this is what Burnley fans do. There's already talk of, oh, we're going to lose him, how are we going to hold on to him? He's too good for us already, and all this stuff. But uh, it's just good for us, I think, to see someone homegrown. Okay, he's not from our academy all the way up. We took him at 14, but he's local-ish, and it looks like he really enjoys playing for the club, so hopefully we can hang on for him for a couple more years at least and enjoy him. But I do see him having a very, very good future. Yeah, for those that don't know, I ended the season with three goals and four assists, but Jamie, I'm sure you'll attest, he did so much more than just that on the pitch, just in that he would shift the defense over to his side a little bit, and if they didn't, then he would punish them themselves. Um, so, yeah, very impressed with what Dwight McNeil has done this far. And I think it would be good for him to stay there for a while. And I think he just offers something that really wasn't in the team, despite the fact that you have some pretty decent wingers. Yeah, absolutely. He's got he's not rapid, but he's one of our quicker players. He's got a good turn of pace, so he can beat a man. Uh, and he's remarkably consistent with his delivery. If you're getting the ball in a wide area and he's one-on-one, chances are he'll get a decent ball into the box. So very quickly, the rest of the team trusted him to do that. I think trust and responsibility is really key for young players. You have to be able to give them the ball and not be afraid that they're going to lose it cheaply. And Dwight McNeil doesn't do that. He looks after the ball very well. Um, I think he's raw data as well. I'm sure other players could say the same, but there's a few goals that have come from his crosses that were then deflected or half cleared and then we scored. So it's not just the handful of goals that he actually was involved in. It's far more than that. And you're right. When we looked at our wing options at the start of the season, we looked strong. Goodmanson's a very good player. Robbie Brady, we spent a lot of money for. We've got Aaron Lennon, former England international. So didn't look like that was going to be a problem position for us. But towards the end of the season, McNeil's been one of the first names on the sheet, really. So next season, assuming he's with us, it'll be McNeil on one wing and one other player on the other wing. So Brady and Lennon probably won't be in the team, which is remarkable, really. Any chance that Goodmanson or Brady could be shifted inside? Uh, I wouldn't think so. I don't think they've got the the physicality that Dash really wants from a central player. Um, I, I'd like to see Goodmanson have a go at, as a 10, maybe. But Dash seems to have gone back to his preferred 4-4-2 after a dalliance, yeah. let's say, with three at the back area <laughs> in the season, which didn't really work. He has used five in midfield before and we had a good spell last season actually was playing Jeff Hendrick as the sort of link man and I think Goodmanson's got the ability to do that he can go both ways 
it's dangerous for shots from distance. Um, so I think that was an option. Um, but I don't see him or Brady certainly not playing central midfield. There might be an option further forward, but not as a central midfielder, I wouldn't play. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Yeah, so, so that's Dwight McNeil for Young Player of the Year. Talked about how him returning to the team really helped the results turn around. Another player that did that was Tom Heaton. Basically, as soon as he stepped back in goal, the clean sheet started coming back. The amount of goals conceded dropped precipitously. W- would that make him your player of the year? Uh, I think he's he's got to be up there. There's a couple of games towards the end of the season where he made mistakes that you just wouldn't expect from him. There was a goal at Everton that I think it was a swerving shot from Dina, and he just didn't really read it and pushed it straight back and they scored the rebound and that was quite cheap. There's a couple of others where you wondered if he'd done better. Before that, it would have been undoubtable for me that even though he'd only come into the team halfway through, he was player of the year and he did have a massive impact. There was a lot of talk from Burnley fans about Joe Hart and trying to pick on goals that were directly his fault. And it was fair to say that he wasn't necessarily letting in goals where you'd think that's definitely the goalkeeper's fault. He should have saved it. But the fact was, there was a lot of goals from distance and there were a lot of goals that weren't particularly powerful. So it was a case of could he have done better rather than should he have saved it. And it was, for me, a a destabilising impact. The the club captain, who'd been out for the whole of last season through injury, so not played, and then got fit and wasn't in the team. He's obviously very popular, Tom, here with fans and the players so that he wasn't playing and there was someone who'd come in. Joe Hart's obviously had a very good past, but the last couple of seasons hasn't really done anything. I I think it was a bad move and he essentially fixed the defence just when he came in. (coughs) I think the other player who's a contender, and I think he took the, the official awards at the awards ceremony thing, was Ashley Westwood, who... I'd never really been a fan of 
hadn't ever really seen what he does well. But over the second half of the season, he was a real driving force in the team. Very, very consistent. Started being a bit more of a goal threat. Scored from a corner away at Liverpool. Who does that? <laughs> so, yeah, I think Westwood's really come into his own. And considering he effectively took the place of, of Stephen DeFore, who for me is our best player in terms of quality, but we can't rely on him because of these fitness problems, that he's been able to step up and now become one of our most important players, I think shows the character of the lad and one that I'm quite happy to put my hands up and say that he's proven me wrong on. So Westwood and he are certainly the, the two main contenders, I think. Yeah, absolutely fair. Um, <clears throat> then wanted to have a brief discussion about kind of what the future holds for Burnley. Even though, like you said, you dropped down from 7th to 15th, which is obviously disappointing, it kind of feels like Burnley are what they are at this point, both squad and manager and ownership. Is that something that the fans are content with? Is there more aspiration being shown and hoped for um, from the fan base? Do you think we'll see more investment in the summer? We can get to that a little bit more in a second, but just is the status quo at Burnley what the fans are expecting or or are expectations a little bit different? I think it's an interesting one. I think at some clubs, if you'd got promoted, had a sort of stabilising season, then finished seventh, I think there would be a clamour for it to be, this now has to be the norm. We have to be trying to finish seventh all the time. I think at Burnley, it was sort of understood that it wasn't a fluke, but it, it was a bit of a freak set of circumstances. A lot of the clubs that you would expect to be going for seventh weren't really up to it. You sort of Leicester maybe Palace, West Ham, they hadn't really got the rights together. So we didn't win it by default because we'd got the points that we needed to deserve it. But there were extenuating circumstances. And the fact is, like I said, Burnley, the size of the club, it was an incredible achievement to finish seventh and get into Europe. So I don't think anyone expects it to happen all the time at all. But I think you get to a stage where you've been in the Premier League a few seasons and maybe we're still establishing ourselves after the first half of the season, but you must get to a point where if you're only playing to survive, what's the point? And I think the problem with the league now is that it's the top six, this year a top two and then four others and then the rest of the league. The gap is just absolutely vast. There was a statistic that Fulham didn't take a single point from games against the Big Six. Cardiff only got three when they beat United on the last day. Huddersfield only got one against United. So take away games against the free falling United and the bottom three didn't get anything against the top six. So if you're not in that top six, how are you supposed to compete? I don't really know. But I think the danger would be if Burnley become a club where they're only trying to finish 17th. And there's probably three or four clubs that are in that sort of bracket at the minute. I think as soon as you're aiming that low, that's when you're in real danger. So I think we have to try for more than that. But it's not realistic for us to finish seventh, probably. So it is a tricky balancing act. And towards the middle of the season, when we were struggling so much, there were t- there was some talk from fans that, oh, if we get really out of our own mind... Championships are fun league, we'll get relegated and win loads of games again, score loads of goals, it'll be nice and fun. 
teams don't necessarily come back when they get relegated. There's lots of teams that have gone down just haven't come up. Leeds United, 10 years is it since they were in the Premier League. Sunderland went down again. So for me, that was ludicrous. But I understood the feeling that being in a league where you're a big fish and you might win the title, like we won it last time we were in that league, it can be appealing. So I think it is a really interesting one and it is going to be a key summer because the club is going to have to decide how ambitious they want to be and I think that will play out in the transfer market over the next couple of months. The early talk that we're going to give Peter Crouch a new deal says it all for me that it's going to be a season of we'll just try and get by and that's dangerous for me. Yeah, a question about um, Sean Dyche is, do you think that either if you got too good, like if if you got back up in that kind of seventh territory again, that he might leave because he would be poached? Or if you performed like you did the first half of this season any longer, you mentioned he might, you know, then be facing questions within the club? Or do you just think kind of regardless, so long as he wants to be there, Burnley's willing to have him? I think that's it, really. There were some questions and, I was one of the people asking them after the Everton game. For me, it was a case of there has to be improvement straight away. Otherwise, you have to think, are we going to stick with Daesh and accept that we could get relegated, but he's probably better qualified than anyone else we could have got to take us back up? Or do you get rid and get like a survival specialist like, I don't know, Sam Allardyce or someone who would probably get you out of trouble but completely change the sort of identity of the club and what the team's all about and completely sort of rip up and throw away everything Dash has worked for over the last six and a half years. Um, but what is quite interesting is that even when we've been doing well, there hasn't really been a lot of talk about Dash. The Everton job came up and there was speculation, but it never really seems to come to anything. There seems to have the... They were set on Marco Silva... But when you compare Marco Silva's record to Sean Dyche's in English football at least, it's no better. He's just exotic and good looking and talks well. So his jackets are pretty <laughs> cool. Exactly. So I think I don't know whether it's the British managers not getting a chance thing or perceptions about Dyche's character or tactics or record in the transfer market. I don't know what it is. But Clubs where you would think would be a step up, he doesn't seem to be on their radar. Um, luckily, he doesn't seem particularly impatient to go somewhere else. There's only Eddie Howe in the Premier League longer serving. Obviously, Howe left Burnley to go to Bournemouth. So, two of the most stable, secure clubs in the league. And I do think if we hadn't had the turnaround in mid-season we would have stuck with him. And I think that faith was therefore justified in the second half of the campaign. There were very, very few people saying we have to sack him. And frankly, they look a bit silly now because we did get out of it. But you're right, it does come to a point where you think, is this it? Has Dyche done as much with Burnley as he can? I think we've seen with Brighton this week, that's exactly what's happened there. They've had the bad run. And they've decided that they can do better. For me, if you're Brighton, you're in the Premier League for the first time, you get to the semi-final of the FA Cup, 
you should be bloody grateful for what you've got. However, their chairman's a gambler, isn't he? He's got his sports betting things, a poker player. He obviously thinks he can do better by turning over the flop or whatever extended card math scores you want to use. So I think it's an interesting one. I would fully expect Dash to be here for another season. Uh, I'd like to see what he could do at a bigger club with a bigger budget. But on the other hand, I'm quite happy for him to be at Burnley. So I'm not worried about it, really. Um, I think it would be unfair if he doesn't ever get a chance at a bigger job because I think his record speaks for itself, really. And I do think he gets all the look for the sort of fancier managers like your Marco Silvers. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I think in an era where you know managers are being chopped and changed, as reports this morning that uh, um, Chelsea might already get rid of Sari after one year sure. in which they finish top four, um, and if they lose I'm Hazard, I, yep. <laughs> I don't know why they think the next manager is going to do particularly any better, rather than letting Sari actually establish his his vision at Chelsea. I think it's very admirable that Burnley are just willing to kind of stick with their man, and as you mentioned, also did so before. Um, so I think while some might look at that as boring or less, um, less um, ambitious, I suppose. Yeah. Um, ambitious uh, word comes up a lot with Burnley fans, and when we don't spend a lot of money, they say, "Where's the ambition from the board?" But there's more to it than that. Daesh has often used the word custodian, which it, it might be a bit like Liverpool with their "this means more." bullshit but I think he understands that when you're the manager you've got more than a responsibility than just to pick the team it's your job to make sure that the club is operating within its means and existing essentially you wouldn't want to be a Bolton who 10 years ago were probably a bigger club than us slightly Owen Coyle certainly thought so when he left us to go to them and now they're going bust they can't pay their players they can't pay the staff they've got a food bank at the stadium for the staff it's absolutely insane so yeah it might not always be very exciting to have a Sean Dyche and it's not very risky but sometimes safe and secure is underrated yeah certainly um Next up, we, we usually talk about transfers, uh, specifically needs that need filling, players that might be on the way out. But for Burnley, I think we kind of need to talk about the strategy because there have been some misses lately. Crouch up front didn't play for like four of the months that you actually had him. Um, Vidra was, what, joint leading scorer in the championship last season, barely played this year. Um, you just can't really have misses like that when you have Burnley's budget. Do you think... We'll see a different approach from them this summer. Um, I don't know what the approach is going to be, to be honest, but I think you're right. I think there does have to be a rethink. Um, during the season, they brought in a guy called Mike Rigg, who's worked at Man City, he's worked at some other big clubs. Um, and he's, I think, his official title is technical director. It's the first time we've ever had that. So it's clearly his job to reshape the transfer strategy. When we appointed him, the club were at pains to say that not necessarily going to have an immediate impact. It's going to be more about developing the scouting side and making sure that we can pick up players that other clubs maybe haven't seen. We have a frankly terrible record shopping outside of the outside of the domestic market. So there's obvious areas of improvement. <coughs> 
there's obviously areas to improve, but the fact that in January we signed Peter Crouch, a guy that we tried to sign 15 years ago, said to me that it's going to be a very, very long road. Um, so it's it's hard to see what we're going to do this summer, really. Traditionally, we've sort of tried to pick up the best players from the league below. We've had some success with that. Chris Wood's been a good signing. Uh, Charlie Taylor's now come in and he's, he's started every game, I think, this season. He's developed a lot at left-back. Both come from Leeds. Um, so we've shown that we can make that work. But you're right, Vidra has been a flop. He's not really had a chance, but Dash doesn't fancy him by the look of it. Ben Gibson, paid £15 million for, doesn't get a game. Um, so I think there does have to be a rethink. It's quite obvious that the European market, further afield even, we have to be able to make signings that are affordable and take players from these leagues where traditionally we've not had any sort of scouting system or anyone who knows anything about those players. But there was talk in January about Che Adams, for example, for Birmingham City. The domestic market now is so high that a Che Adams costs you 20, 25 million. A guy who's never played Premier League football really has got no record to speak of and essentially off the back of one very good This is what you're working with if you restrict those parameters. And you're also going to be competing with clubs our size, Southampton will link with Adams, West Ham I think will link with Adams. So it's very difficult for us to even get one of the best players in the championship now. So there has to be a a real rethink in the strategy. That's Riggs' job. And this summer, although he's still in his first year in the job, it's going to be a real sort of proof is in the pudding. We've brought this guy in to do it. Now we've got to see what he's all about and if it's actually going to make a difference. Yeah, if you do employ a new strategy, what position do you think would still most be needed? I think um, we probably need strengthening across the board, really. Um, but I think this is where we've got it wrong as well. So I'm a bit torn. I'd like to see us go and buy real quality in sort of the spine and the team, maybe a high-class defensive midfield or something that we don't really have. Um someone creative who can play as a number 10 or on the wing has the sort of variety to play different positions in attack someone who's got lots of pace sort of attributes and traits that I think we're lacking rather than having a real problem position um, I think we do need new fullbacks we've just let Stephen Ward go who's been one of my favourite players for a long time but his knees seemingly just aren't up to it anymore um, so we'll only have Taylor for next season we need someone to certainly compete with Taylor, if not be first choice. Right back, we've had Matt Walton, who's done a very good job over a few years, but Phil Bartley came into the team. Um, these aren't sort of modern, dynamic right backs that you see in most of the league. Look at someone like Aaron Wambisaka at Crystal Palace, come out of nowhere through their youth system, one of the best players in his position in the league already. He's going to be in England international very soon. Incredibly strong defensively, but also good going forward. And I think our fullbacks at the minute are probably too defensive-minded. That's maybe part of a Sean Dyche thing. 
But I think if you want to be a more progressive attacking team with more creativity and goal threat, your fullbacks are now incredibly important. So I'd like to see us invest in that area. Um, and yeah, pace, creativity, sort of things that traditionally we've been short of, but these things don't tend to be cheap, as we know. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, part of the uh, thing about Burnley being so stable is that this next question is a little less interesting than some others. Uh, what would be your way too early predictions and expectations for 2019-20? Um, you always want progress. So if we finish higher than we did this season, then that's a good start. Um, I think the scope for us to try harder in the cup competitions this is a regular bugbear of mine with Dash that he just seems to junk them, basically. Um, there's a lot of clubs in our position where they do the same. They look at the Cups as a distraction, but not in a good way. So they'll give fringe players a chance to play, which makes sense because they need to play at some point. But if you're not going to try and win a Cup, what's the point in entering them? Watford have got to the cup final this season. There's no reason why Burnley can't get to the cup final. Wigan got to the cup final a few years ago and won it. So I think we should have a real crack at at least one of the cups next season. I'd be disappointed if we had like a third round, fourth round exits again. Albeit, should point out, the FA Cup two years in a row, we've had Man City away. So it doesn't really matter what team we pick in that situation. We're going to lose at Man City away. So... Uh, yeah, hopefully we don't draw Man City in the cup. Essentially, that would be a really good expectation. Yeah, well, uh, good luck with that then. Um, I, again, I think it's pretty admirable that Burnley are as stable as they are and that people should stop viewing them as boring and, and more as consistent. But that to the side, uh, best of luck next season and well done on rescuing yourselves this. Uh, for the rest of the summer, where can folks find you? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. If you want to read more about Dwight McNeil, that's for your <laughs> prime on the whole internet. If he gets called up to the senior <laughs> squad, it will definitely be discussed. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to be banging that drum for some time before it happens. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can get me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport, where I share some of the work that I do for Omnisport and various other stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jamie, and I'm sure we'll speak soon. No worries. Cheers, mate. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.